Welcome back to Psych Your Crime, and I'm your host, Nicole Mann. Like always, I want to thank all of my listeners from around the globe. I always see this. I never thought that I would be doing this for this long. Um, I just thought maybe a handful of people would listen, and maybe I would last a couple months, and that's it. I never, ever thought that I would get this far, and I definitely never thought that we would get to this point. And by that, I mean that November 15th, the new podcast, American Policing Notes on a Scandal, will be debuting. And on November 1st, merchandise will be released. We will have a store in the Designed by Humans website. The store is going to be called Crime Scandal. It obviously is a combination of the names of the two podcasts. There'll be both merchandise from Psych Your Crime and um, American Policing. Um, There's going to be an ugly Christmas sweater, of course, and merchandise that's going to raise um, money for the Colin Kaepernick Foundation and the 999 Foundation, which is something that um, raises money so that police officers can seek treatment for PTSD outside of their respective police departments so that it doesn't affect their careers. And for those of you who are not aware of the Colin Kaepernick Foundation, what it does is it helps educate people on their actual rights um, when it comes to interacting with the police. So they're not just going off of things they may have heard around the internet, but actually are being educated to their actual rights. So I'm super excited. And like I said, that will debut on November 1st in the Designed by Humans website. Um, Like I said, it's Crime Scandal, or you can also look under Nicole Mann. Um, There'll be plenty of different designs in there. So um, I really hope you check it out. Um, Obviously, um, we will be catering to you guys, and it's so much for you. It's a way to say thank you so much. Um, for just supporting me and of course they have international shipping for those of you who are not in the U.S. I wanted to make sure that um, I went someplace that I could make sure that all of my fans would be able to sport the merchandise and really show your love so thank you so much and this week we are going to be looking at the case of Paulette uh, Gabera she is a toddler who disappeared from a mexican compound only for people to discover that she never really disappeared on the night of sunday the 21st of march in 2010 uh, palette arrived from valle de bravo to her home located in huxacolican please excuse me if i pronounce that wrong accompanied by her sister and her father mauricio Guerrera. The mother of the girls, Lizette Ferra, awaited their arrival to put them to bed, which she did. On the morning of the 22nd, one of Paulette's two nannies, Erica, entered the room to wake the girl, but could not find her. She noticed, she notified Lizette and began searching the building. Maurizio informed his sister of the disappearance of his daughter, and his sister informed the Hitzikolian authorities. Later, the mayor, Alfredo del Mazo Mata, notified the attorney general of the state of Mexico, Alberto Baspa. After the initial search of the apartment building, 
Paulette's family claimed they could not find her. There were no signs of theft or kidnapping. The locks were intact and as were the windows and doors. The housing complex had surveillance, but no evidence of Paulette leaving or being taken was found. Paulette could not go out alone due to motor and language disabilities. Now, it may seem really strange that the family notified the mayor and that the mayor notified the attorney general, but what you have to understand is that this part of Mexico is a very affluent part of Mexico and that she supposedly disappeared. They keep calling it a complex, but she disappeared from a secure compound. So she disappeared from a secure compound in a very, very affluent part of Mexico. And that's why they notified the mayor and then the mayor notified the attorney general. In the afternoon, the attorney general of the state of Mexico released a poster with a photo of Paulette and information about her age, appearance, and physical disabilities. Paulette's aunt, Arlette Ferra, sent emails and uploaded a photo to social networks where the news quickly spread, prompting a large response. In the evening, Lizette Farah released a message on television to the alleged abductor asking that her daughter be returned to her, saying that she could be left in a shopping center or a crowded place and there would be no reprisals. After the announcement, she distributed flyers with Paulette's face, put up billboards, and placed advertisements on TV and public transportation. Maritio also appeared in the media, asking that his daughter be returned to him. He recalled that he had gone out to work on the morning of Monday the 22nd of March when Paulette had appear apparently disappeared. On March 29th, the Attorney General of the State of Mexico announced that Maricio Gabara and Lizette Ferra, Paulette's parents, as well as the sisters Erica and Martha Quismero, Paulette's nannies, would be placed under restriction order due to several falsehoods and inconsistencies in their statements. Quote, each one of them at certain moments have falsified their statements, which has made it difficult to know the truth of the facts and clarify a firm timeline of investigation, said then attorney Alberto Basbas. On March 30th, Paulette's parents spent several hours at the Mexican police station before being transferred to a hotel to fulfill their restriction order. The same day, police experts placed blankets at the home for a reconstruction of events. This, <laughs> this sounds like the, the nicest, most comfortable way to arrest somebody ever. Like, I'm going to put you under a restriction order and then put you in a hotel. Just arrest them. You lied to us. I'm going to throw you in jail. On the 31st of March, at around 2 a.m., Paulette's body was found in her bedroom. In a video prepared by investigators and then leaked to the public, one verse is heard saying she was severely beaten while examining the stained sheets. However, this statement was almost immediately refuted by Attorney General Baspas. Paulette had actually... Paulette has... Paulette had actually died due to asphyxiation due to an obstruction of the nasal cavities and thoral abdominal compression, he stated. 
An autopsy revealed that Paulette slept with an orthopedic cloth over her mouth, which was placed every night to prevent her from sleeping with her mouth open, and that her body was not manipulated after her death, and that she had eaten food at least five hours before she died. The body had two sections of rectangular adhesive cloth in vertical positions on both cheeks, in addition to signs of a blow to the left elbow and knee. The official findings, however, indicated no signs of physical or sexual violence. The autopsy also established that her death occurred between five and nine days before a final analysis was made, establishing that she could have died anywhere from the first day on. This was reported on the 31st of March, although they failed to reveal the exact date and hour of her death. The official report also included a mention that no traces of drugs or toxic substances in the body that could have affected the girl's consciousness were found. The conclusion was that Paulette, by her own means, moved on the bed and accidentally fell headlong into a space at the foot of the bed where she must have died by asphyxiation and subsequently remained there unnoticed for nine days days. On April 3rd, Paulette's mother, Lizette Farah, initiated an AMPROS proceeding against the restriction order, claiming that she had not been involved in the events that caused her daughter's death. Specialists indicated that the woman suffered from a personality disorder. During the procedure, Mrs. Farah became subject to an indictment. On the 4th of April, a judge granted freedom to Paulette's parents and nanny. Mauricio Gabara left the hotel where he was staying at 10.20. Lizette Farah, the main suspect, at 11, and the nannies at noon. None could leave the country because the inquiries were continuing. On the 5th of April, in separate interviews, Mauricio and Lizette accused each other. Lizette claiming her husband was to blame for Paulette's death, and Maurizio that the death could not have been just an accident and that he could not completely trust his wife. Now, also during this time frame, the makers of the bed were actually um, contacted so that they could try and find out how the bed, uh, how this could happen, how she could actually fall. And initially, they determined that it wasn't possible. But then what they did find out was the issue was that the mattress that they had purchased for the bed was not the correct size. They had a smaller mattress on the bed than what the bed was made for. So it was technically possible she could have fallen, rolled off the edge of her mattress and into a gap between the end of the bed and her mattress. The problem is that's not how they found her. They didn't find her in a gap at the end. They found her rolled up inside. Like, they found her rolled up in in uh, blankets. So she didn't, it's not like she rolled herself into blankets and tucked herself in at the end of the mattress. You know, so that's a little bit far-fetched that any child would just roll themselves up like a Swiss roll into blankets and then fall in and 
um, asphyxiate. Like, it, it just doesn't really add up. On the 6th of April, Paulette's body was buried in Mexico City. The funeral procession was headed by the girl's mother. The Gabetta family were not allowed to attend the burial according to an agreement. On the 7th of April, the Gabetta family denied Lizette Farah's request to see her other daughter, Lizette, who had stayed with her father's family since the 4th of April. On the 10th of May, the Attorney General of the Federal District, who also collaborated on the case at the request of her counterpart in the state of Mexico, granted the custody of Paulette's sister to her mother, Lizette, who brought a complaint against her husband demanding custody. On the 26th of May, although Alberto Basbas defended the investigation and conclusions of the case, he resigned as head of the Attorney General of the State of Mexico, saying that an Attorney General needs the confidence of his people to act effectively, and that he had lost confidence due to the questioning of his actions in the investigation of the death of Paulette Gabera Fara. More than seven years later, on the 3rd of May 2017, Paulette's body was exhumed from her grave and cremated since authorities considered that her remains were no longer objects of evidence for the investigation of the case. That is super bizarre for you to wait seven years and then exhume a body and cremate it. That is not just bizarre, that's super suspect and super shady. Um, and like I said, the circumstances under which this happened for a child to have been rolled up in a blanket and then stuffed in a bed, especially after the house was supposedly searched by everybody. The housekeeper had found, searched the house, all these people. The police had come back and gone through the house and no one noticed this child, not even that, even an extra blanket, an extra wool, nothing looked off about the bedroom and then like I said, seven years after the fact, they exhumed her body and cremated her. That's just really bizarre. A close friend of Lizette Farah, Amanda De La Rosa, was allowed to live in the Gabara's house for several days immediately following the girl's disappearance. De La Rosa slept in Paulette's room, which was not secured by authorities. In the time she spent in the house, the bed was made on a daily basis and nobody noticed the girl's body or the bloody stains on the sheet as they appear on the forensic videos. As a result, Amanda was also investigated as a possible suspect, but no charges were filed. At the end of the investigation, she wrote a book titled Where is Paulette? Narrating the events from her personal perspective and questioning all the discrepancies between the facts and the authority statements. Many people were suspect of Amanda's motives from the beginning as it was the former actress herself that convinced um, Lizette to go to the press initially against the police's wishes. Nine days after her disappearance is when a team of three forensic experts entered Paulette's room at two o'clock in the morning. They went straight to the bed and started taking measurements, loudly stating, the, its characteristics and recording their activities on a video. At some point, one of them declares that Paulette was severely beaten to death. 
And then a few moments later, a forensic expert removes the bed's blankets and saw the two large bloodstains. One of them was as big as an adult head. The same man walks to the front of the bed with the help of another forensic expert, removes all the sheets, and that is when uh, Paulette's corpse is revealed, partially hidden on one side of the mattress. Although local authorities gave the video to the press as a document to prove how the body was found, there were several doubts about its authenticity. Most experts agree that this was a reenactment and not a real-time event, which may explain how one of the forensic experts could know Paulette was beaten before any evidence was actually found. It would also explain the placement of the camera and the position of the forensic experts in the exact place to be able to show all the elements to the public without any obstruction. It has also been noted that none of those present seems to show any surprise when they discover a body. And they even continue narrating events with a monotonous and mechanical voice as if they were repeating a very badly rehearsed script. The time the video was recorded is crazy too. I mean, it's two in the morning. Who does it for, I mean, this isn't CSI where they're on the night shift. And so they just happen after not securing a scene for nine days after letting everybody come and go. This woman slept on this bed, possibly on a body. Now suddenly at two o'clock in the morning, you're gonna go back in, tear apart this bed and magically find this body? No, no, such legal procedures are normally done during the daytime by Mexican police and forensics. The biggest controversy regarding the video as soon as it was released, General Attorney Basbas publicly stated that the images proved Paulette had accidentally died from suffocation, avoiding any mention of violence. In later interviews or statements to the press, the latter was not mentioned again and the official cause of death was ruled as an unfortunate accident. Paulette disappeared on the 21st. Her body was found on the 31st, 10 days later. The initial autopsy report established March 28th as the probable date of her death. The forensic expert in charge of the investigation confirmed that an unidentified high command in the state asked him to correct the date of death, establishing a non-specific time Somewhere between March 21st and March 26th is the official date of death. The exact day and hour was never released to the public. The cause of death ruled as an accident caused by mechanical asphyxia does not explain the stains showed in the forensic video. In 2010, via YouTube, a video titled The Strange Case of Paulette's Pajamas was taken by experts and disseminated in the media. The video makes a comparison between photographs of Paulette's body dressed in blue and red pajamas with reindeer figures with an interview with her mother previously recorded several days before her corpse was found in which the same pajamas appear in her bedroom. After this discovery was made public, the television network aired all the footage unedited including all preparation prior to the interview. 
As Lizette and the reporter in charge of the interview examine various items owned by Paulette, the aforementioned pajamas appear. When asked directly, Lizette states that the pajamas belong to Paulette's sister and they are soon discarded by the reporter as immaterial. However, the presentation of the video without cuts or edits caused even more doubts. The audience immediately questioned why the sisters' clothes were among Paulette's belongings, and as it could be seen in subsequent days in continuous interviews, those pajamas were placed in Paulette's closet. It also is questioned why the authorities were never informed that the family had a second set of pajamas identical to the ones the girl was wearing at the time of her disappearance. And later, after finding the girl's body, it was not known whatever happened to that pair of pajamas. The public was very surprised that during all the previous preparation of the interview, and especially when reviewing personal objects of her daughter, Lizette did not show any pain, grief, or concern. To this day, it's not actually known what happened to the girl. Her cause of death is still listed as mechanical asphyxiation. It's not really known what happened. Um, the timeline is so diluted and unclear, um, given to meddling, given to pressure from politicians. So they're saying that her probable date of death is the 28th. She was reported missing on the 21st, seven days after she was reported missing. They're saying she actually died. Then they're saying that her body was discovered three days after that. So where was she? What was happening in that house for seven days that no one knew where she was? What was happening? Her mother actually did an interview in her room at one point. Was she doing an interview, sitting on her body? What was happening? No one knows and no one may ever know exactly when she died due to the fact that they were pressured to change the date of death. So, like I said, we may never know, especially now that they've gone back, exhumed and cremated her body. And so... I didn't really get into the psychology because like I said, we don't know what happened. We don't know if she was murdered. We don't know if it was an accident. We don't know what happened. Um, but what we do know is there was a lot of meddling and posturing by politicians to try and take care of this. And that may have been what caused this to go so dramatically wrong and why we may never know what happened to this poor girl. So that is the awful and sad case of Paulette Gabara. Um, join me in two weeks when we look into the case of Killdozer, a story of a man who, driven to his final breaking point, decides to hand modify a bulldozer into a tank and take revenge on the city planning council. Until then, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.